Benjamin Franklin, An American Life by Walter Isaacson One sentence summary Benjamin Franklin, An American Life takes a thorough look at the life of one of the most influential humans that ever lived and explains how he could achieve such greatness in so many different fields and areas. My favorite quote from the author is Knowledge is obtained rather by the use of the ear than of the tongue. Walter Isaacson Pro book tip. When you see a biography of an iconic historic figure written by Walter Isaacson, just get it. They're always worth it. Especially if you read a couple by the same author. You'll notice that even among the most shimmering characters in history, there are stark differences. For example, while most of them are known for specifically changing one industry or field, like Einstein did with physics, Marcus Aurelius did with philosophy, and Nelson Mandela did with equality, some people you keep bumping into in totally unrelated areas. Benjamin Franklin is one of those. He's referenced in books about innovation, deliberate practice, and money, just to name a few. But of course, you also know him for being a great businessman, writer, shaping the founding of the United States, and oh, discovering electricity. What makes someone change the content of history books in so many different areas? From Benjamin Franklin and American Life, I believe it's these three things. 1. Benjamin Franklin was a self-improvement nerd. 2. If you really want to learn something, you will find a way. 3. Don't be afraid to be 20 years ahead of your time. Ready for a deep dive into one of history's most fascinating biographies? Let's learn something from Ben Franklin's life. Benjamin Franklin and American Life Lesson 1 Above all, Benjamin Franklin embraced learning. He was a true self-improvement nerd. This answers the question, what was Benjamin Franklin's approach to learning? Ben Franklin started learning early. At just 10 years old, he took his first apprenticeship and worked ever since. So by the time he took a job with printer Samuel Keimer at age 17, he'd been learning for seven years already. But picking an industry and committing to learning the tools of the trade is just one part of the equation. He was also hell-bent on improving personally, a trait which, I think, has allowed him to confidently switch topics. Having taken the job to further improve his writing skills, he eventually ended up staying because of the long philosophical discussions he had with Samuel, which had a great influence on his later debating and speaking ability. To integrate learning into every single day, he even created a 5-hour rule for himself, spending 1 hour each weekday on reading, writing, setting goals, coming up with ideas, and talking with like-minded people and reflecting. One of the books that most impacted him is called The Pilgrim's Progress, a religious story outlining the Christian journey in the form of a dream. You could say that Benjamin Franklin was one of the first self-improvement nerds, loving to learn and obsessing about making consistent progress with his life, just like you and me. Benjamin Franklin and American Life Lesson 2 If it was impossible, if it was possible in the 1700s, it's possible in 2016. If you really want to learn something, you will find a way. This answers the question, is there really something you can't do? For all his success in business, what Ben Franklin really wanted to do was write. That's why he took an apprenticeship with a printer in the first place. He also worked at the New England Courant, the first independent Boston newspaper, which belonged to his brother. 
Of course, the only way to get better at writing is to get feedback for it, so he was eager to publish some of his essays in the newspaper. But since he was 17 years old, nobody would have taken him seriously. So instead, he created a female alter ego, Mrs. Silence Dugood, in whose name he published his funny first attempts at writing. Sure, having access to a newspaper isn't something everyone can count on, but if Ben Franklin found a way to really learn how to write in 1721, so can you in 2017. Even better, today you can publish almost anything online, free for the world to see, whether that's a video, a song or something you've written. I don't have a publisher, agent, film school education aren't valid excuses anymore. If you really want to learn, you'll find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. Benjamin Franklin and American Life, Lesson 3. Don't let being ahead of your time get to you. Embrace it and be patient. This answers the question, what if you feel nobody understands your ideas because you're just too far in the future? No matter what you want to learn and eventually be successful in, it's always going to entail some kind of risk. Whether it means putting all of your money into a new technology, sticking with your opinion, even if it's unpopular, or pursuing something that other people tell you will never work. This means you'll often feel like you know something to be true and the world simply hasn't caught up yet. It's easy to get discouraged when you feel you're the only one who's ahead of the curve, frustrating even, and maybe you'll want to give up. As long as you think you're right, don't. Benjamin Franklin was at least 20, sometimes dozens of years ahead of his time, but he still knew that eventually people would come around. For example, he not only discovered electricity with his favorite key-on-a-kite experiment, he was also the first to store electricity from a lightning strike in a so-called Leyden jar, some of which he connected and called a battery. A battery in the 1750s! He also already lined out a government model for the United Colonies that would later become the USA in the 1750s, 20 years before the actual Declaration of Independence. Until the very end, he kept up his visionary thinking, putting forward a petition in, the, in 1790, the year he died, stating that the US government had to uphold the liberty of the American people, without distinction of color. He wanted to abolish slavery, something that would actually happen 75 years later. Here's what I learned from Benjamin Franklin and American Life. Man, what a visionary. Okay, so I want to make a caveat, a big caveat actually. Reverse engineering successful people does not work. Or at least it doesn't work in full, right? So it's very easy to look at something like that and say, oh my god, like I have to do this and that and then I have to do everything like Benjamin Franklin did it. No, because you're not Benjamin Franklin and it's not the 1800s anymore, the 1700s anymore. So you're different, right? Uh, obviously, Benjamin Franklin was extremely gifted and talented and smart. So some of the things he got away with because he just figured out a way faster because he was really, really smart. Like you can't ignore that factor, right? He was incredibly talented at most stuff or at a lot of stuff like like most people aren't. Uh, he had the connections, right, the, uh, to, the, to the right places that he needed at the time to get into these specific areas, right? So he was lucky in a way too. Um, so there are so many factors, right? So it's not obsessing about exactly copying what Benjamin Franklin did. So that we really want to stress that. Um, I do think he was a self-improvement nerd. I stand by that, absolutely. And I think that's an important aspect, like just being obsessed with improving yourself. I think that's 
basically being obsessed with anything is what leads to some kind of success, whatever that means, like whether that success means money or a healthy body or whatever. But obsession is like obsession. Like that's one of the, one of the, one of the sort of meta skills I see when I look at him because obsession is really what allowed him to go so deep and so hard at stuff to actually succeed so quickly, quote unquote, like multiple years as quickly, uh, but still and move on to the next thing, right? Yes, there are much less boundaries to doing anything really. There's whatever you want to do. I promise you this, whatever you want to do, there is a way to test this idea of yours, this this ambition, to test this ambition risk-free on the internet. I promise you. Like, whatever it is, you can write about it, you can tweet about it, you can videotape about it, you can do that risk-free and get feedback from the world um, whether that's actually valuable. Like, there's a version of every single thing, like every business idea you can think of, Every there's a way to get started with it that doesn't cost a single cent and it's just up to you to be creative enough and bold enough to actually do it and not to be like, oh, but I need money. Oh, but I need, I don't know, like a big, bigger network. Oh, but I need like a big place where I can store all my shoes that I want to. No, no, there's a way to test your idea risk free at zero cost. I guarantee it. If anybody tells you anything else like that's BS. And lastly, being ahead of your time. I mean, how much further ahead of your time can you be? Obviously, yeah, Gutenberg invented the printing press in 1492. That was a shitty timing, I admit it. Amazon was not around, so you could not buy ebooks yet. Yep, people, 8% of people could read. Yep, a shitty time to invent the book press. Maybe that guy had jumped the gun on Franklin. But other than that, that guy was pretty much the most visionary person I can think of. I mean, like 1790, he says, you know what? It's time uh, to abolish slavery here. And when did it happen? 1865, uh, which was mostly Abraham Lincoln's work, right? So really, really crazy. So basically, all of his life, he knew everyone else was catching up to him, right? So that was pretty lonely. Think about that, like... Being right often means being lonely because you know things others do not yet know. And that naturally means that other people are going to tell you you're wrong. So it's really important to hold on to being right when you know you're right. Obviously, you can never 100% know, but when you feel it in your gut and like you have all the, the facts aligned and you're absolutely 150% convinced you're right, then don't give up because other, and let other people talk you into adopting the, the common what's called common sense, right? Okay, actually, I, I have so much more prepared um, than I will probably be able to use here. So um, let me actually make picks. No, actually, it's not that much. So the learning rule, I want to quickly expand on that. So what did he use the time for? Basically, the five-hour rule, um, the idea is that you spend one hour every weekday on improving yourself. So that could be an hour in the morning or at night or whenever. And the idea is that you dedicate this time to different activities like waking up early uh, and uh, or waking up early to do it and then reading and writing, setting goals for your personal growth and, and tracking the results, um, having sort of a club where you talk to other people, right? Some kind of community where you talk to people about ideas and how to improve yourself, um, making experiments about the ideas, how to improve yourself, and then reflecting on life, just thinking, right? And having questions that you ask and, and so on. So that's the idea of the five hour rule, just making time for self-improvement really. 
The other thing that's really, really interesting is how he made decisions. So uh, Charles Chu, great author, uh, great guy, I follow him, has a process he calls Franklin's Gambit, and he wrote about that. And basically, whenever Benjamin Franklin would make a decision or had an important decision to make, he made a pro and con chart, right? You know this is pretty common stuff, right? On one side, you write down the pros. On the other, you write down the cons. But here it gets interesting. What Benjamin Franklin did was he looked at those and he said, if if this pro sort of cancels out this con, then I'm going to cross out both of them. So he looked at the ones that were sort of equivalent in, in power, in balance, and then he crossed those off. And if there was only, if there were more arguments remaining on one side than on the other, because it outweighed the side, he had his decision, right? So that's... That's a really that sounds like really cool in theory, but here's what actually happens in practice, and Benjamin Franklin realized this. What actually happens is that we cross out the pros and cons in the way we want the decision to be. We don't know that's what we're doing, but that's what's happening. So subconsciously, we have already made the decision like a long time ago, but doing it with sort of this rational quote-unquote process helps us justify our decision, and that's really important, right? Because you need you need to be sure in your decision and then you can move ahead on it with confidence that's an important aspect of it so making a pro and cons list and crossing out opposing elements and t doing that process over a couple days right giving yourself time to think and subconsciously process will not necessarily change your decision but it will help you justify whatever decision you make so it's basically typical human irrationality we take the models that are given to us and we sort of abuse them to justify the decisions we have already made. Okay, that's just part of the equation. But it's still worth learning because, or it's still worth doing, I guess, because it, sort of using these models helps us over time make subconsciously better decisions. At one point, your subconscious will sort of take this pro and con process over or part of it and use it and... Um, as a result, you will make better decisions overall, regardless of whether you're using that model or not. Lastly, if you want to learn writing uh, as a writer, uh, it's really interesting for me, Benjamin Franklin, how he did his writing process. So there were several aspects to it. He would, one, dissect and reconstruct. So he would basically read a text or read something he liked and then make some notes and then let those notes sit for a few days and think about them. And then he would try to rewrite the same piece in his own words, just using his notes. And then he could compare that with the original and see um, and, and correct like his, his faults. So that was really cool. Another thing he did he was, was he converted his own stuff to poetry. So that was to learn better words and use of language. So he would take his normal prose text and... Um, write a poem basically out of it and then wait for a few days and then convert the poetry back into a normal prose. So that's really powerful exercise in terms of vocabulary and grammar and so on. And um, lastly, like what he did was to understand structure is that you he would take the notes from an article like he made in the first exercise, he would uh, toss them around, right, mix them up, wait for a few uh, days or even weeks and then um, try to assemble the note cards in the right order again, right? So that was just an, an idea of like, did I get the structure of this or do I know how to structure things? Because like once he read it, he 
would obviously see the structure, but the question was, in his mind, could he reproduce the same structure when he has the elements out of order? That's another cool thing you can do. So, I mean, so many ways to learn from Benjamin Franklin. I think the important takeaway is, one, you don't have to do everything like he did, and um, just take the parts that work for you, right? So if there's something to learn about innovation or business or writing, whatever you want to do, maybe take that aspect of it, run it as an experiment like Franklin would and see if it works for you. If it does, you can adopt this practice. And if not, then just move on. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, Walter Isaacson, great guy, great biographer, probably the best. Um, Check it out and I will see you on one of the next summaries.